Sorry. Whew, it's hot up here. <laughs> okay. Well, today we're going to be in the book of Psalms, not in James 1 anymore. Okay? Psalms chapter 73. I want you to turn your Bible there. I'm glad you got out this morning. I'm glad that you came to the Lord's house. Uh, we're going to find that in our text today. Before you stand, though, let me say a few things to lead up to the message a little bit. You know, um, we all have things in our life that we treasure, that we hold dear to us, that we uh, pursue, that we even spend resources in trying to gather them up. And, and uh, today that's what I want to speak about is treasure. We find that in Psalm 73. The writer of this psalm is Asaph. He is uh, believed to be a man appointed by David to lead worship. Uh, David is known for his music talent and writing ability, and we see that in the Psalms. And here's another man that David had appointed along with himself to lead worship and to take care of the tabernacle setting. And so Asaph is a, a man who is in love with the Lord but yet he's found himself uh, slipping. And he is struggling with what is important in his life. And we see that in the first half of the chapter. We're not going to read that, but I just want to give you some history of that. Uh, Asaph decides that uh, it's not worth his time anymore to pursue God because he's looking at the wicked around him and he sees their prosperity, he sees their hardiness, he sees they have no troubles, and he sees that perhaps following God was not all that it was cracked up to be until he went to church. So let's read that part. You can stand with me and let's start there in verse, uh, uh, let's start in verse 10, okay? Verse 10 says, Therefore his people return to this place, and waters of abundance are drunk by them. They say, How does God know? And is their knowledge with the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, and always at ease they have increased in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. For I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. And then he resets his thinking, okay, in verse 15. And he says this, If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. When I pondered to understand this, I was troubled in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. Let's pray together. Father, bless your word today and help us see the value of true treasure in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. I know that many of you have treasure too that we 
pursue things in our life. We look forward to having them. It's not that we are deciding that we've become wicked people because we want to have treasures or have possessions or have things. But the problem is that when a Christian looks at what the world has and he begins to compare what he has with what they have, then he begins to doubt his faith. He begins to doubt what is important and what is really true in this world. I want to read you what Jesus said about treasure, okay? Matthew 13, Jesus said this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Amen. Again, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went out and sold all that he had and he bought it. There's some things in that I want you to see. First, the kingdom. That's what Jesus says is true treasure. The kingdom of God. You know that. You're a Christian. You know that being in the kingdom is the most valuable thing that we can have, that we can possess. But I want you to see a couple of other points in that. The kingdom is very uh, important in that text. But also the idea of someone finding it. Both of those stories Jesus told, one about a treasure in a field, one about a pearl of great value... Both of the stories indicate that a man found those. He found that treasure in that field. He found that pearl of great value. And the second, or third, I'm sorry, most important thing is this, that that man gave up everything to buy that treasure, to buy that pearl. I'm going to ask you, have you given up everything for the kingdom of God? That's what Jesus requires. We'll get into that a, a little bit later, but that pinpoints the value that you and I place upon things in our life. Jesus says the kingdom is the most precious treasure we could have. Asaph says that man's treasures are valuable. The wicked have prosperity. They have a value. They have, he goes on earlier to write, they have a fat body. That's not a cut. That is really a uh, privilege. It's a benefit in the Old Testament. You had plenty of food to eat. Okay, You had everything you needed. You had everything that you wanted in life. And he began to compare that with his life and following God. And he saw that he did not have those things. So he said, my feet came close to slipping. But then he reset his focus after he went to church. And in church, he saw the end of the wicked. He saw the, the, the value of what he held in God and what they held in worldly positions. And he decided that what he had was way more valuable than what the world had to offer. And then in the last half of that chapter, Asaph describes to us this treasure that he has. So I want to read that to you as you're seated there. Verse 21. He says, when my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. 
Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel, you will guide me and afterward receive me to glory. 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And beside you I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord my God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. So Asaph decides that God is far more valuable to him than anything that he has. You know, he felt that he had slipped because he began to pursue money, enough money to enjoy life. And when he had trouble trying to discern all of this, and of course he went to church and he heard the word and he heard God speaking. He read his Bible, so to speak. Of course, he didn't have a Bible. He had the law of Moses, right? And he maybe some of the other Old Testament writings. But he realized that earthly treasure was something that would be removed eventually. Earthly treasure is something that will slip through our fingers like sand. But God, in his heart, was his portion and his strength forever. And so I want to talk about that today. How do I, and Asaph gives us three ways to treasure God in these verses that we just read. And the first way is this, that we should treasure God because He is faithful even in our failures. All right? God is faithful even when we fail. Look at verse 21 again with me. When my heart was embittered, what does he mean by that? He was embittered towards God because he didn't have what he thought he should get. He goes on to say, And I was pierced within, then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel, you will guide me and afterward receive me to glory. Notice all of the pronouns in there. I and my and you. Asaph's made this thing with God a personal thing. It's on a heart level. He said, when my heart was embittered. You have to deal with God on a heart level. It has to be a personal level. That's what we teach and preach in the church, isn't it? That it's a personal relationship with Him. That we don't need to be concerned about religion with Christianity, it's a one-on-one -on -one with God, a personal walk with Him. And so if I'm thinking that God is way out there somewhere and that one day I might reach Him or attain Him, I'll never get there because God said, I never knew you. Depart from me. So we have to know this God on a personal level. And I say this God, the only God, but we have to know Him on that level. In verse 21, he says, my heart. And then in verse 26, God is the strength of my heart, though my heart may fail. Okay, you and I must deal with God on this kind of a level. Here's a couple of things within that first point that I want to share with you. Number one, God uses our failures to lead us to Him. 
All right. God uses our failures. Inherently, you and I have the problem of thinking too highly of ourselves. Okay, what do I mean? I don't think that you're arrogant. I don't think you're bragging. But I think that sometimes we feel like we can live the Christian life. We can do it. We can make it. We can succeed in it. And certainly God would permit us to fail so that He would show us how dependent on Him we are. Here's what it says in Proverbs 24. A righteous man falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of disaster. You see, we as followers of God know that we are dependent on Him. And if I begin to think for the least amount of time, I begin to think that I've got this sin whipped. You better watch out. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. You and I are dependent on God even to walk with Him. We don't live the Christian life on our power, on our gut, on our strength, on our will. You and I inherently fall. A righteous man falls seven times and rises again because God's got a hold of his hand. Verse 23, you have taken hold of my right hand. You don't live the Christian life on your power. You live it by being dependent upon God. Amen? No better place to show this than in the Bible. Peter and his denial of Christ. Satan comes to Christ and he says, I demand that you allow me to sift Peter like wheat. Jesus allows it. In Mark chapter 14, we read this. But Peter said to him, even though all may fall away, yet I will not. We know what happens, don't we? The night of his arrest, Jesus is in the court and Peter denies knowing him three separate times and he runs out weeping okay peter the strongest that we feel of the 12 disciples at least the spokesman of the group denies the lord that he even knew who he was in fear of his own life you and i are the same we think that we would do this if we got confronted with death but we really don't know. We really must depend upon Jesus Christ. We really must say in our heart that we would not turn away, even if it cost us our life. I believe this world is very near to that event taking place where man will have to give his life to be a Christian, to serve and to love God. I believe we're close to that. You and I haven't experienced that persecution. There have been men and women across the world that have. Many martyrs in our faith. We are fortunate and blessed, but don't think that we're above anything. By depending upon ourselves, we must depend upon the Lord and totally trust in Him. The Christian life is really a process of getting knocked off our feet day in and day out so that God can pick us back up. And get us back on the path 
Remember that God allows or uses your failures to lead you to Him. Number two, God uses our failures to give us a greater understanding of His love. Verse 23, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. If I was to... Uh, Look down in verse 22. He says this, Then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. If we were to translate that in today's English, it would say something like this, I was such an idiot to think that I could do something apart from God, to think that I could stand on my own two feet, to think that the world had it better off than a follower of God. I was an idiot to think that way. Okay, but nevertheless, I am continually with you. God had not abandoned Asaph during his troubles. God will not abandon you when you fall. God will not allow you to be hurled headlong. God will take care of you. God will watch over you. Even though you slip, God is holding your hand. The word nevertheless there in verse 23, what a beautiful word that is. Every believer needs to come to the understanding of that word. Nevertheless, when I slip and fall, when I make a mistake, when I sin in the eyes of God or men, nevertheless, God will not let me go. You know, that's a great word for you and I to study. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 through 5 say this, But God, being rich in mercy... Because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So a person who understands this word nevertheless understands that we begin our Christian walk with grace. It's God's grace that allows us to have that life. It's God's favor on us that allows us to have that life. And we try to live that life, but we end up failing when we would finally come to our senses and understand that it is His faithful love for us despite our sin. Then we understand the word, nevertheless. God holds on to you. Brother, verse 23, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. God uses our failures to give us a greater understanding of His love for us. The last one, God uses our failures to lead us to realize our need of His Word, His Spirit, His counsel, and His guidance. Verse 24, with your counsel you will guide me and afterward receive me to glory. Not only has God got a hold of Asaph's hand, but he's also guiding him home. Just like he's guiding you home, if you would allow him to do so. Will Asaph stumble again in his life? Probably so. Will you stumble in your life? Probably so. But God has got a hold of you. Understand that. You know, that's a big, uh, that's a spiritual truth for the people who believe in the security of the believer, who believe in the perseverance of the saints. God has got a hold of us. We don't just reach up and grab a hold of Him. He gets a hold of you. Amen? 
Here's what David said in Psalm 37. The steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong, because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. You know, we use that text often in evangelism about John 10, when we say that nothing can snatch us out of the Father's hand. Now you see in the Old Testament, David referring to that very thing. When a man of God falls, he will not be hurled headlong into destruction. Why? Because God holds his hand. Jesus said in John 6, 38 and 39, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me that of all that He has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. God is holding you. God allows you to slip and fall so that you will depend on Him to pull you up and hang on to you and fix your life. God guides us to bring us to glory. He uses His Word to do this. It says it right there in verse 24. With your counsel, you will guide me. Well, what counsel do we have with God? We have His Word. He's given us this Word to to follow and to read and to study and to know so that we would be guided by Him in the way that we should go. Interpretation then is key in this. Just as we looked at the Old Testament with God holding the hand and the New Testament with nothing snatching us from that hand, now we use the Scripture to interpret the Scripture. That is the best way to interpret the Bible. You can go to commentaries. You can go to men that you trust or have read that believe like you and you understand that, and you can get great ideas and great meaning to text and information. But if you want to interpret the Scripture, use the Scripture. Use the Bible. From front to back, it does not change or contradict. Ever. Okay? Now, if you, in your study, find a feeling that something is not right, and you feel that you are being told uh, something opposing to Scripture, let me inform you. That's not the Holy Spirit. Okay? If you have a feeling that you're finding something contrary to what's in the Word, that is not the Holy Spirit of God guiding you. And there's only one other answer to that, and you know what it is. So you use Scripture to interpret Scripture. You use the Word to tell you what the Word means. Yes, you can use commentary, but realize those are men Their ideas, their thoughts, they may be faithful, godly men, but you can find the answers you're looking for in the Scripture. Let's go on. I got off on a little rabbit hunt there. Spirit, okay? Uh, The first reason then that we should treasure God is that He is faithful even in our failures. All right, we fail sometimes at slipping, we fail sometimes at sinning, we fail sometimes at trying to do things on our own. God uses all of those things to show us our dependency upon Him. The second reason that I should treasure God above everything else 
is that He alone can sustain and satisfy me in time and eternity. Today and forever, God alone can sustain us. Look in verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And beside you I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. After considering God's grace, now Asaph looks to his failures and he proclaims that God is who I have alone. No one else do I have. Nothing on earth do I desire besides God. That's a deep spiritual thought that this man is giving us today. Asaph moved from valuing God for what he could get from God to valuing and treasuring God for who God is. Listen, sometimes I request things from God. I ask for things from God. The result of that is not going to change my faith in Him, whether He gives me my request or not. And I hope you feel the same, but there are so many people, even our brothers and sisters among us, that look to God to get things from God. They come to church to be blessed by God. They pray, they give to be blessed by God. So they're valuing God for what God can give them instead of valuing Him for who He is. Who in heaven do I have beside you? Amen? Who in heaven do I have beside you? And beside you I desire nothing on earth. Wow, that's a bold statement. Could we say that? Could I honestly say that I value nothing on earth but God? That puts me in a quandary because my wife's sitting here and I don't value my wife and my children. I, I don't value my children. I shouldn't value my children. I shouldn't, uh, I shouldn't value good food. I shouldn't value a, a great job. I shouldn't value things of this world, just God alone. That puts us in a spot, doesn't it? Asaph says, beside you, I desire nothing on earth. Well, how do we resolve that? Well, there's a couple of lessons I want to show you from the second part of the message today. We should thank God for the blessings, yet we should treasure Him as the ultimate blessing. Okay? Thank Him for the blessings, but treasure Him as the ultimate blessing. Don't treasure the gift above the giver. Okay? Can I honestly say that I value God and nothing else on this world. I just told you my spouse, my children, my food, my lifestyle. 
What does the Bible say about this? How am I going to interpret that verse? Well, if I go to the New Testament, I find the answer. Jesus says in John 14, 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. I remember going to the jail in Cordell and one of the prisoners in there when I first got there that night, he hit me up with that question. He said, how can you say that uh, God is love when he tells me to hate my mom and my dad and my brother and my sister and my family, my children? I said, he doesn't tell you to do that. What he's telling you there is to love him more than you love them. You know, some of you, I don't know your situation, but necessarily but some of you had to walk away from family to become a follower of Christ some of you might have had to give up a job to follow Christ some of you had to change lifestyle to follow Christ there's things that we we give up we found a treasure hidden in a field we went and hid it again and then we went and sold everything we had to go buy that field some of us have had to give up things. In fact, I would hope that all of you have had to give up something to follow Jesus. If you haven't, then what's the use? You can't take Jesus and put him in your pocket and then go on and live your life like you want. That's not how God works. That's not who God is. That means we're valuing God for what he can do for us instead of treasuring him for who he is. And Asaph is trying to help us understand that. We must value and treasure God for who He is. In relationships, Jesus said, as far as spouse, children, brothers and sisters, love God first. Okay? As far as things are concerned, in valuing things in the world, Paul writes to us in 1 Timothy Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, Don't allow men to place their riches above everything else. Let them place God above everything else and use those riches in His kingdom to share. And when they do that, they'll be building up a foundation for their future in heaven. Remember, all those things you and I hold dear are going to slip through our fingers like sand when we take our last breath. Never saw hurts with a trailer hitch. Amen? Never seen a hurts with a trailer hitch. We can't take anything with us. We can only send it on ahead in the things that we do with it here and now. Asaph is showing us treasure God above all because He alone can sustain you and satisfy you in this life. So enjoy God's blessings and yet treasure Him above all else. 
A Christian should be growing in his desire for God. We begin that process by seeing the shortness of our own life. The older I get, the more I realize how close I am to the end. How much closer is it? I would say that flipped for me somewhere in my 50s. 50s and before, I was all about this life. 50s and after, I'm about that life. I'm about thinking about it more, praying about it, looking forward to it even, preparing for it, telling others about it. You know, I used to think old people just became cranky and, and uh, they said what was on their mind, and I realized that's not the case. Old people realize how short their time is and they better say it now because they won't get a chance to say it later. Amen. When I have feelings in my heart about children or people, I want it to come out now. I don't care what they think. I don't care what people think. I want things about God to come out. I want truth to come out. Where am I going to offend them to? People say, I don't want to offend them. Don't say that anymore. You need to offend them. They need to be offended. If you don't offend them, they won't change. They won't stop doing what they're doing. Offend them. Jesus said he's a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. People will stumble over him. And some people like you and I will fall down before him. Other people will stumble over him. Don't be afraid of offending somebody with God's truth and God's word. We begin to see the shortness of life. We must have God as our possession. We must have Him in our heart. You must begin to see the whole uh, purpose of life for men will fade away, but what God has given us will never fade away. Why? Asaph says this, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God alone will satisfy us. So, we treasure God because He's faithful to us when we fail. We treasure God because He can sustain us and satisfy us. And last today, we treasure God because He alone can save. Look in verse 27. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me... The nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. God does not annihilate the wicked. The Bible tells us that. He does not annihilate them into non-existence. He places them in a place where He is not. He places them in a place that was made for the devil and his angels. He places them in a place where there's no hope of ever getting out, where there is no hope of good, where there is nothing but regret, and where there is loneliness. He does not annihilate the wicked. He just judges them eternally. All men have eternal life. Did you realize all men, let me rephrase that, all men have eternal existence. Some have eternal life. Some have eternal death. 
no annihilation. You don't just go in the grave and vanish into the thin air. You are either with God or without God. We see that the dead are done so because of their trespasses. You and I were enemies. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. We were unfaithful to God. But it says, but God, as I read earlier in Ephesians, but God being rich in mercy caused us to become alive in Jesus Christ. God has rescued us from this judgment. He is our good. Is that what it says? No, look at it again. It says, but as for me, the nearness of God is my good. The nearness of God is my treasure. Being close to Him, being near to Him, all else fades away. I think I could honestly tell you as your pastor that I could count the times that I have felt near to God on one hand. And I would probably only need two fingers, maybe three. And what I mean by that is that I was in a place where all I could do was fall on my face. I could not and would not dare raise my eyes. I could not think of anything but Him. I could not think of anything but what He has done for me. I could not think of anything but how undeserving I was to be in that place. And I fell on my face all those times and I wept. I believe that when men come into the presence of God, that's what's going to happen. We're going to weep. We're going to fall on our face before Him and we won't be able to get up. You read that in the Bible. I'm not trying to copy the Bible. I'm just telling you that was my experience. Three times in my 30 years as a follower of Christ, I believe I was in His presence. He was there. I know He's here with us. I know He's with me every day. I know He has a hold of my hand. But we don't experience that epiphany when He comes to us in the same room, in the same place. The nearness of God is my treasure, is my good. I can't wait for the day that I'll experience that physically in His presence, looking in His eyes, hearing His voice with my ear. When my faith becomes sight, the nearness of God is my treasure. I want you to think about your own. Think about the things you hold dear to you. Think about the way you're living and the things you enjoy. Would you be willing to give those up to be near to God? And then you could say, Besides you, I desire nothing on earth. Let's pray. Father, bless this moment for us as we sing this next song. is a song of invitation. Lord, I pray that you would come down to this room and visit us here. 
pray that this room would be filled with your presence, God, that your spirit would be free to move in the hearts of these people, that we would experience you here this morning. Lord, we love you. We need you. We depend upon you. We know that you are the cause and effect of everything that is good for us and to us. And I pray right now, Lord, that as we stand, that you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen.